Welcome to the Business Big Bang Theory, a podcast from the Business Centre where we talk about all things small business. In this episode, we're focusing on the NDIS um, businesses and marketplace, I guess, reopening with confidence um, now that the COVID, um, well, we hope the COVID um, urgency is starting to pass and we're, we're starting to reopen for business. Um, my name's Chantelle Robards and I am going to be your host today. For those of you who don't know the Business Centre, we're a not-for-profit based in New South Wales, 35-year history, helping small businesses through providing business advice and uh, practical education in collaboration with industry experts and partnership with local, state and federal governments and small business programs. Um, thanks for joining us today. I understand we've got lots of people uh, interested in this topic, which is fabulous. Um, our webcast is focused on those businesses working within the NDIS marketplace um, who are in the process of reopening um, uh, as the, as I said before, the COVID pandemic just starts to fade, um, fortunately for us in Australia. Although we're watching, of course, nervously the situation in Victoria. Um, it's a day by day mm. situation. Um, today, it's my absolute pleasure to introduce an amazing panel of uh, expert speakers to you. And I just feel so privileged that they all said yes when I asked them to do this and volunteered their time. Um, they have amazing information for you today uh, to give you some uh, tips and strategies and some things to think about when you're doing your planning for getting back to face-to-face -face business uh, with your clients. So it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Natalie Welch from uh, Perform Good HR. Morning. Uh, Travis Borg from Muru Pathways and Amy Pollock from Early Start Speech Pathology. So welcome everybody. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for having us. <laughs> um, so delivery of uh, services in our uh, industries, I guess, is predominantly face-to-face, -face, um, often very close face-to-face -face, uh, work where we're interacting with our clients um, very intimately. Um, a lot of our businesses in the sector were confronted um, with the level, higher levels of risk involved with um, a contagious virus on the loose. Um, so we're hoping today when we chat together um, about um, how to start with Travis's business uh, dealt with uh, who did not ever stop delivering services through um, the pandemic, through the um, red zone, I guess, where, where everything else shut down. Uh, Natalie from a policy and workplace culture kind of perspective and um, Amy is an allied health business where who really successfully pivoted to telehealth and now is in the process of pivoting back. So um, Travis, I thought we could start with you if that's okay. Sure. Um, Travis runs an amazing business called Miri Pathways where um, you support people on a very frontline basis, often at the co uh, complex end of the spectrum and a range of sort of services. And you guys didn't stop at all no. um, during <laughs> the shutdown period. Um, so I'm wondering if you could um, talk to our audience today about just sort of the considerations you had to make very quickly on the run when everything hit and the shutdowns were announced and uh, around the nervousness of your clients and staff. Hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, yes, it was quite a busy period of time, especially around that uh, uh, mid-March period. Um, we, we, we started prepping for some potential concerns around early March, uh, especially trying to understand our inventory, um, what we had for participants who would be considered quite vulnerable. Uh, our service works in a lot of areas of vulnerability, not just in the area of physical vulnerability, but also mental health. So each of those two prongs required a different type of 
support structure for them. So much of what we did was around identifying where the vulnerabilities are um, and how much risk each of those vulnerable, um, I guess those vulnerable areas would increase for that participant or each of those participants. Um, it's hard putting it all together because we're actually trying to work on both the participants, which are our clients, and the staff as well, because good examples would be uh, physical vulnerabilities that some of our participants would have meant that they would need to be isolated for longer periods of time and that would actually require support staff with them that also understood those vulnerabilities and didn't, especially in the early stages, didn't engage in community access themselves. So unlike other industries where you go to work and then you come home and your home time is your home time, they had to go to work and they also had to understand how their home time could impact on that person within, yeah, that, they, that they're supporting. Uh, part of how we managed that was we actually tried to connect participants with staff that either isolated themselves or had their own risk factors. Uh, some of that identified, um, some of our staff identified their age as a risk factor. So they were self-isolating at home. So working with vulnerable staff, uh, vulnerable participants, sorry, meant that those two actually worked quite well together. They knew that their participant was isolating, they were isolating, and that gelled quite well. Um, for some of our participants where it was more around the mental health side of things, where their vulnerabilities were, uh, they would actually become unwell, um, but they would still be engaging in the community. So they were technically considered high risk, but high risk because of their engagement in the community. They wouldn't stop going out in the community. They didn't understand the, the, the virus or the potential risk. And that put a lot of pressure on staff who were saying, I'm doing all that I'm supposed to do, yet, my participant is going out there, you know, picking up cigarettes off the ground or still wanting to engage in can collection on the streets. Um, sure. So that was a big difficulty mm. of trying to support the staff to understand how they can continue to work with that participant whilst not um, taking away from their, you know, their own choice to engage in yeah. things because it, it wasn't technically in the early stages illegal to go out there and do these things, but it was warned that it, it's not appropriate. Um, so for us, yeah, we, you know, we, we engaged a lot of PPE. We purchased a lot of PPE. Um, I think from a financial point of view, that was quite costly. <laughs> um, and it was, there wasn't much out there um, for it. So we had to actually you know, identify N95 masks that were available, um, have a surplus of those masks, offer them to staff, offer them to participants, get all that equipment out there so it could be utilized um, and continue to bring that equipment in. We didn't know how much we would need. We didn't know how long we would need it for. Um, so currently at my office, we have a massive surplus of masks <laughs> <laughs> because we just, you know, we, luckily New South Wales didn't require such a, a, a long period of time, but you know, we were looking at maybe about six months. Sure. So yeah, that's where we were up to. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah, there might be a need for them elsewhere, perhaps. Well, you know, there might be, but I think more for us, it's about identifying that we actually work with vulnerable people in the NDIS. Uh, although we're talking about post-COVID, uh, kind of a period of time of post-COVID, our participants are always vulnerable. 
They're always vulnerable to colds yeah. and flus. They're always vulnerable to health risks that can be brought upon them by staff. Um, and we often don't take that into account. We go to work when we have a cold. Our, you know, our, our colleague might get a cold. Um, our participants might go to hospital. Hmm. So we're actually starting to have a better understanding of, of how we can assist them to make sure that we're not putting people in hospital because our staff are coming in with a cold. Uh, so we introduced, if you're sick, if you have a cold, especially during COVID, COVID whether it's you know, COVID or whether it's a cold, we will pay you for that period of time, providing you see a doctor and you have two weeks off work. And we're hoping to keep that and continue that because although in most industries we see a cold as, well, it's just a cold, get back at it. We actually don't have, the, we actually probably shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. We should actually be giving our participants that choice to say, you don't want someone coming in with a cold. Um, masks are not sufficient for when someone actually has those symptoms, um, but maybe prior to those symptoms, a mask might be yeah. useful. So, so these are things that we're starting to kind of get a bit of a better grasp of especially for physical vulnerabilities mm. or anyone with an immune deficiency as well. So good learnings, sort of Forced good learnings. learnings, but yes, it's been, um, it's probably given us a lot of insight into how we can actually better support people who are vulnerable. Keep people safe. Do you have a business idea, but you're not sure it'll work? We have small business toolboxes and expert business advisors to support and guide you through your startup process. Contact us via our website to find out how. Businesscentre.com.au. Natalie, I might um, shift to you now if that's okay. And I think sure. Travis raised a lot of um, points there around the two sides of the coin, around protecting uh, clients and participants mm. and protecting staff as well. So from a policy sort of perspective in a workplace culture perspective what have you got to um I think um Travis has shared some really good insights then around um business adaptability yeah. uh that you just didn't stay stagnant with a fixed mind um you actually adopted more a growth mindset and looked at it from a number of angles um and did a lot of pre-planning um to, to those planning horizons on the future so I think that was a strength of what you just shared then so I think really um from a planning perspective or a policy workforce policy perspective I think uh, one of the the must-dos is to have a COVID safe response plan. Um, from You can download those from Safe Work Australia. They've got a checklist there, which is also a good cross-reference point. You know, sometimes it's just, where do I start? Mm -hmm. um, whilst there's not one there that's disability specific, I think what you raised then, Travis, was really important around that you, we need to contextualise these Safe Work plans um, uh, for our industry. So in our industry, uh, the disability industry, we, we need to also make, make sure that we're maintaining the ethos of person-centredness, um, honouring the fact they are vulnerable persons, um, and how can we build that into the context of our safe work plan? So um, my challenge to the folk listening is to, yes, write yourself a safe work plan, um, response plan, look at what contingencies you need to be putting into place, use the um, NDIS practice standards as a really good frame, um, to help you make sure you're still meeting your quality and safeguarding uh, compliance requirements um, and, and get that plan into place. Look what resourcing you need. That was really good that you said that um, 
you needed more PPE and um, found a supplier for that. That was that adaptability piece. I think the next um, component I would suggest also, once you've got your COVID safe work plan in place, is to um, develop some really good practice guidelines um, for your workforce that are really clear, concise and to the point and, and based on the scenarios that might present itself within your business. So those scenarios could be that you have a worker that... Um, uh, has coronavirus that identifies as that, um, what would be your response within your business? Um, you might have a client or a group of clients um, who've been on an outing together that um, also all of a sudden need to be isolated, who may be um, living in different residences. How, how are you going to handle that? Um, so I think it's also that scenario planning would be important. And from a workforce planning perspective, I think it's also critical that we look not just at the immediate today. We need to expand as um, providers or leaders within that business to look at those future forward horizons. So um, what's going to happen in this next quarter or next season? I, I think, you know, for us Game of Thrones is on the call. Um, it's also, you know, winter is now, winter is here um, and spring is on the horizon. So also look at, you know, this is not a short term pitch um, for workforce. It's also a long term um, strategy. So um, what are you doing for your workforce um, to prepare them for that? So I think there's a number of risks. Um, I think the key thing is you must be change agile. You must be adaptable. Um, your business model. We've already seen some great things, which Amy's going to talk to us about um, around, you know, how um, people have adapted the service model that they're doing. You know, so how, how are you going to maintain some of that momentum in there uh, with that? So I think I, I call it, I coin it, mind the gap. Um, I think it would be very tempting for a lot of um, providers just to flick the switch. You're allowed to, it's restrictions are easing, let's just go back and flick the switch of the lights of our office, whether that be virtual or together, and just resume business as usual. Yeah. And I think um, in many ways that would be a missed opportunity so I think it's also about challenging your assumptions around that and um, having a new narrative when it comes to what your service is about. And I think from an employer point of view, that also then butts up against your employer brand. So what is your brand as an employer? Mm -hmm. um, and what is your story around COVID and being COVID safe? Um, and how are you communicating that? We've seen, um, you know, when we look at the landscape and the environmental landscape, we've seen several community-based employers um, not not go too well with media attention when there was an outbreak and it wasn't handled well. So another policy consideration you might make is what is your media policy? Um, you know, just as much as the obvious, what's your flexible work um, practices or policies? It's a really great time to check back in with your code of conduct or culture code um, and to have a really good look at who we are has changed as business owners and business operators and business leaders. Um, and maybe our code of conduct is no longer reflecting or our values, business values, um, ha have shifted. Um, because when we look at our client base, we're looking at them differently. Like even what you said before, Travis, around that awareness that, you know, these are vulnerable persons who go through um, these seasonal um, infections year to year. But now we've got new insight because we're also impacted. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's that. The other thing I would say is um, make sure you've got some contingencies around key roles within your business. 
So if um, you are, are impacted um, in some way, that there's more than one person that knows how to do those functions. Um, yep. So we, what we know about job descriptions, it's usually one person, one job sort of mentality, but how can you get that cross-skilling occurring across your business? Um, and, and really that's more that team environment or team culture um, piece that comes in. So yeah, that would, they would be my main advice um, is to, yes, make sure you've got your COVID safe plan in place. Um, stay open-minded with a growth mindset around what your business model could look like. Um, and also don't think about it in a linear approach. Um, you, you, yeah, yeah you, you want to think about it, what's, what's possible um, and look out there to see within the industry, there's some really good adaption that's occurred, like telehealth um, is a really good one. Um, you know, how can you adapt that within your own business model, um, but also protect the health and safety well-being of your workers? And I like before, Travis, you mentioned too, around, um, you know, the psychosocial leadership within your business. Um, with regard to, you know, we, we've seen um, through the disruption, you know, a rise of isolation, um, workers feeling isolated from the core purpose just through virtual distancing. Um, we've also seen um, some mental ill health appear in, you know, and, and what are you doing beyond um, EAP programs yeah. to offer your workers um, who may be feeling unsettled? By that. So when we talk about psychosocial leadership, we're really talking about the culture and the climate of your work environments um, and how are you, um, even like, you know, we've seen a rise, sadly, around um, family and domestic violence. So that's another policy area. It might be wise just to check in again. Um, what is your policy as a workplace around um, workers who may be um, impacted by that. Mm -hmm. Because what we know now is um, a lot of people used to come to work for respite from that and now they've been at home. And I liked um, your idea too there before around partnering. Um, so, you know, don't just pump out your roster again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, look at your client matching, look at um, those risk factors. Yeah. And I think the other area is that um, we talk about vulnerable clients. We also need to talk about vulnerable staff. Yeah. Um, so make sure you've got really good protocols or clear um, flowcharts for staff or who disclose that they're at an at-risk group. So that might be an age cohort that they find themselves in or it might be because they've got particular medical conditions. Mm -hmm. um, so who, who would they go to in your organisation to have that conversation if they need some additional precautions or um, risk mitigation strategies put in around them? Yeah. Wonderful. That was very comprehensive. Oh, thank you. I, think, I hope people are taking notes. <laughs> very content rich though. It's excellent, excellent information. My pleasure. If you're enjoying our podcast today, make sure you rate and review Business Big Bang Theory through iTunes and follow and share us on Facebook, Instagram or LinkedIn at The Business Centre. Amy, uh, your turn. Yeah. Um, I'm really keen um, to have a bit of a chat about uh, the whole telehealth pivot, how that went, sure. how are uh, your client, you know, the comfort level of your clients and team yep. um, within that telehealth model, and now how everyone's feeling about okay. moving back. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been such an interesting journey uh, and something that we weren't predicting. You know, it hit and it hit hard and it hit fast. We transitioned to telehealth quite early in the piece. It was that week that the Prime Minister was announcing every day more and more closures. 
And within that week, we noticed a 50% downturn in our business straight away within a week. You know, the schools were shutting to external yeah. providers. Um, families were feeling really unsettled and uncertain. And, and as were we as a business, you know, we didn't know if if we kept operating, were we keeping our staff and our clients safe? So we worked quite quickly within that week. We went through a staged plan of, okay, we will transition to telehealth and this, this will be our model that going forward. Um, but I have to say our staff were amazing in adjusting and adapting to the changes because basically we gave them a week's notice to say in a week, we're going to be fully virtual. We're closing our doors. You know, we mm -hmm. had to do risk assessments to figure out the safety for everybody. And that was our decision very early on. Um, we were lucky because we'd already provided telehealth, so it wasn't a new platform. But to ask our staff to transition their whole client load to telehealth within a week was a huge ask. So, you know, us as directors really had to support them through it and share as much information as we could. And, you know, we had lots of teams shared platforms and things like mm -hmm. that. Um, and really communicate their strengths in doing it as well. We were so impressed with how they adapted to those changes. Um, and the clients as well, you know, um, the, the clients adapted as well. I think we all went through such a significant period of change and the adaptability of everybody was amazing. And, you know, we made sure that we were communicating to our clients as well. We always led with thank you you know, thank you for what you're doing for your children. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for adapting to our policies. You know, I think within the stress of it all, we can forget the kindness within our yeah, communication. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. Um, and, you know, as a business owner, as a mum, <laughs> I was going through my own trauma um, through that time. So to recognise what people were going through was really important in transitioning to telehealth. And, you know, some really good things came out of telehealth. We've got, now that we've returned face-to-face, -face, we've still got about 20 to 30% of our caseload staying yeah. as telehealth. They don't have to travel. Yeah. They're, um, you know, especially if they're wrangling multiple children, <laughs> they can just stay at home. It's so much easier. And we're noticing we're getting less cancellations with sickness as well, because that's an alternative that's really safe for everyone, but they still get their therapy. So that's been a real positive Coming to face-to-face -to -face has brought its own challenges. And just like you said, you have to be adaptable to that change. And, you know, as directors, we had in our mind, okay, uh, when we start back, we're going to space out our clients 15 minutes between. That's going to allow for thorough cleaning of the room and any toys that were played with. But as our caseload's gotten busier, that's meant that clients have missed out on appointments. It, the therapy team wasn't needing as long. So it was about listening and adapting to what's actually needed. So to not compromise on our infection control measures, but to also create a policy that's going to be um, in existence for a longer term period as well. So that's very much where we're at now in coming back to face-to-face, -face, adhering to our COVID safe policies, but for the longer term. So there's no point putting things in place that the therapy team can't execute. You know, they have to be able to do it. And with that comes communication mm. of actually this, this it's a great idea, but it's too hard. Let's brainstorm another way to do it. Um, so that was, that was really positive coming out of the face-to-face. -face. But some of the things that we're having to do is really empower our staff. We're, we're calling it our new normal. 
And I think that's a good um, way to describe it because yeah. I think everyone's hanging out to get back to normal, but we're not there yet and we don't know when we'll be there. And we've just got to make this new normal as, as normal as possible <laughs> for as long as possible. Um, and so communicating that with our staff and with our clients as well. But we're really having to empower our staff to be able to enforce our COVID policies with kindness and to explain our why. So I think we're overwhelmed with information, you know, as a parent, you know, we, we, as a person in society, we're just getting so much information. So to communicate that information really clearly, I know it sounds simple, but with headings and, you know, sections, so people can scan to what's relevant to them. Um, and, yeah, returning back to that face-to-face, -face, empowering the staff to enforce those policies. Um, it's a new conversation that they haven't had to have before. You know, we've had kids that have come since we've returned show up that are sick. And they might be, the parents might say, oh, they're teething or, you know, they had a bad night, but they're fine. And, you know, you're thinking, no, they've got a cough and a snotty nose. And you, we have to empower our staff to feel confident and okay to say, hey, let's cancel today. Let's do a telehealth session later in the week. I'll call you for a time. And it not being a, a, a scary place to be, you know, so empowering them. And some great things have come out of that as well. In Our waiting room's closed at the moment, and that's one of our risk risk assessment management policies well is that we're reducing the amount of time that people are staying in our clinic but um you know it's a new policy for people because families are very much welcome in early start and you know kids do their siblings do their homework on the, the floor and you know so we had two months last week that were sitting chatting in the waiting room and I had to pop my head out and I said I'm so sorry ladies but our waiting room is closed and do you mind going for a walk or um, you can sit in your car and we'll come and get you when the session's over. They ended up going and having a coffee yeah. and establishing a friendship when they wouldn't necessarily have even communicated. Mm -hmm. So there's some really nice things that are coming out of returning face-to-face -face whilst establishing our COVID safe policy too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah. Therapeutically, yeah. I ask this because speechy speechies, so forgive me, but therapeutically, have you found some of your clients are doing better with telehealth than they did with face-to-face? Yes. Because -face? actually that has happened to me too. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's been really interesting yeah. to see the difference. So some kids who are really motivated by technology are loving, loving um, telehealth. It hasn't been for everyone. So we're finding our little early intervention kids really need that play base still in the mm -hmm. clinic. Um, but that's something that's come out of it that we wouldn't necessarily have explored, especially with our local clients, because our telehealth was for, you know, regional and remote communities. But it's got so much benefit from, yeah, clients yeah, who are accessing... The, yeah, the yeah. telehealth program. Yeah, I agree. And I think it, uh, for me personally as a professional, it's it's forced me to become a better coach. Yeah. So I think there's been growth, you know, again, back to that growth mindset, Natalie, that you raised um, around professional growth. That yes. It has, um, it's forced that. that yeah. Certainly some, you know, for the broader sector, I can't imagine that that's not happening for everybody. Who yeah. Did. And you're not reliant on your toys or your tools that you, you can't, can't well, you got. Yeah. You've really <laughs> got to get creative. Yeah. Yeah. Another point, um, that we found as a, a key component coming back is we've worked really hard on making early start welcoming. So I've noticed in businesses around there's like red tape and big signs saying do not cross here and you know it's 
it's, we want people to feel confident that when they come back to us, we want them to come back to us and they're going to be safe and we're going to be safe. And so I think creating a welcoming environment is really important while still adhering to your COVID policies, yeah. of course. But, you know, the red tape, it's, no. it's especially for our client load, it's just too intense. Yeah, you need, yeah. You need a positive reinforcer, not a negative reinforcer. So exactly. Not don't do this or stand here yeah um you need to make sure that yeah they, they will come back and yeah. they will feel like there's a there's a purpose to this new yeah. world order um because yeah. that seems to be the the biggest barrier for for many of our participants is that they they part understand but they don't fully understand yeah. And I think some, seeing some of those businesses that have got the red tape everywhere, it feels like they've still opened in fear. You know, they're still fearful to be open. And I don't want that to be our message. I want them to feel confident that we have got enough policies in place mm. where we're all as a team able to execute those policies policies with confidence and with kindness so that they can come in and not feel afraid or oh, hang on I don't think they know what they're doing yeah. you know oh, oh I should have washed I my hope hand. I don't break oh. the rules yeah right. yes I think that's commendable because really you've been able to balance um, the practicalities of keeping a safe workplace with the empathetic heart mm. and that customer centric focus about you know being respectful to to how we still treat people and you know, red, red, red tape signifies danger. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a part-time business that you'd like to take full-time and beyond? Our experienced business advisors can support you in growing your area and making that big bang in business. Contact us at businesscentre.com.au. We have a question for you, Amy. What have been the costs, um, do you think, of the adjustments, I think is what the question is about. Um, how have you managed it financially? Sure. Well, the JobKeeper helped. JobKeeper, yeah. <laughs> um, look, initially, obviously, for the first, it was almost a month, there was no signal of help. So, again, we acted early um, and um, part of our risk assessment was managing those financial costs. And we did a planned prediction based on that 50% client load drop-off. Um, of what that would look like, what were our expenses, how were we going to meet those demands. Um, you know, part of our financial responsibility was that we put our reception team on leave without pay for a period of time because once we were doing telehealth, we didn't have work for them. Um, that broke our hearts and was very hard to do because we were all, you know, in that peak trauma time. Um, but that helped reserve money to pay the rent because we did have a drop-off of client load. Um, and there were more expenses such as getting everyone in our team of six therapists a um, login for the telehealth. So there was an extra expense there. Um, but now that we've returned to clinic, we've returned to our, our baseline again. So we have been through highs and lows of financial, you know, NDIS and, you know, not getting paid years ago mm -hmm. for three months. So you know, I think you've got to be prepared as a business to not have income for a certain period of time. And what are your plans around that? And we've been through it before. So we had that plan and mm. we're able to plan that. So who would have thought we'd thank NDIS for the portal oh, crash I know. of 2016 that we will never forget here? I don't think I'm up yes. thinking yet. <laughs> okay. Grateful uh, for the resilience. <laughs> but, but it is true. Like, I mean, we, we did have to learn that through a lot of the portal crashes and also, I mean, 
yes, we planned for a pandemic, but we also planned for another portal crash. Yes, um, exactly. And, and so we need reserves to ensure that we can sustain a period of time without any of that income coming in yeah. because we are relying on, you know, some, some of us have multiple streams of yeah. service, but if it's solely NDIS, you are relying on that one system. Exactly. Yeah. Excellent. Um, um, Marie asks, uh, do you think it's viable to run NDIS in this COVID impacted world, given the high costs and the effect on business continuity? It's a good question. I mean, obviously I have two businesses sitting here successfully running viable uh, businesses. So um, we have some good experience in the room to say, yes, it's yeah. viable. Okay. Um, Natalie, I might even flick to you because around that uh, more systemic view. Yeah, I, I think, um, yes, you can still operate. I think it's a about how you innovate around that, mm. um, how you adapt, as we said before, and, and how you... I, I think it's also... I, I think, you know, it's about also being cautious and mindful, but at the same time being... Op you know, we, we have to go on because these services are vital. So, um, I th you know... It, so what I would say to that is, yes, it can be done, but I think you go into it... Um, with with your eyes open um and to um be always willing to plan and learn from the environment and and what's happening around you um and i think also um you know it's been a really good in you know to quote marie kwando you know the you know with the decluttering yes <laughs> <laughs> it's it's also a, a really good opportunity to, to declutter um my, mind you you still might need those fast face masks but um I think it's um, also taking the opportunity to look at where your revenue leakage is um, and where your waste has been from a revenue perspective, where, you, you, know, the, you know, maybe that process that was highly bureaucratic doesn't work anymore. Um, so maybe there might be cost and productivity savings beyond the obvious that, that um, has the COVID disruption has actually put a, a torch into that blind spot. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be an also a lesson or learning or wisdom to take away, um, you know, as far as making sure your business is sustainable and viable moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I think within that as well, having, as you said before, multiple streams mm. of income, we've worked hard on building up our private market. So I think if you're running a business that's purely in the NDIS space, you are at risk anyway, you know, so working on other areas just to have that sustainability long term not mm. to say not do it because obviously you know we don't work in NDIS for the money it's for the clients it's it's for about that connection and um, yeah, the social value yeah. yeah absolutely so you know there's still a huge importance to that work and, and I think that risk was there before COVID anyway yeah. to come back to your point it, it like I think was. Um, anytime a business is relying on government monies for funding or, mm -hmm. and only having one income stream, it, it, is, it is vulnerable. Look, I, I think it also yeah. comes down to the fact that the NDIS is looking at a 70% growth, which now might be around 60% growth over the next five years. And services kind of have seen that growth and they've kind of rolled with that growth. But sometimes that growth has to be sustainable. Mm. And if you're actually talking about making sure that you can provide continuity of support. Well, if you have a large workforce and a large participant support network and your staff cannot provide continuity of supports, you actually don't have the, the backing behind you to ensure that participants are safe, mm -hmm. their supports are being maintained. So despite there being uh, 
you, know, you open your books and you will have those books filled constantly. Every time you hire another support worker, every time you hire another clinician, their books will fill. What happens when their workload becomes too high? What happens when mm, yeah. their mental health starts to deteriorate or their stress level starts to deteriorate because they are taking on too much because John's away for a week yeah. and you know, yeah. and they yeah. don't have And that's where that workforce planning is so paramount because that is that capacity capability mm -hmm. um, conundrum that you're trying to plan scenarios for. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Mm. I love that concept of scenario planning and I, I'm going to just borrow that oh, with your permission. <laughs> and uh, we might even speak a bit more about that um, after the presentation. We'll take one more question now and then I have some more questions for the team here. Um, all right, so that's oh, a good question. Jess is asking, has anybody lost staff or do you think you might? Interestingly, not for the reasons that would be expected, not because we've lost uh, supports or you know, people have cancelled, but we have actually had staff that we've had those conversations with around their own vulnerabilities, um, around their own mental health with all of this. And they've either we've come to a mutual agreement or sometimes we've actually had to let staff go because they've been unable to provide that support in the way that that participant requires. And because it is such a participant-led industry, yeah. it does make things tricky. Um, we, we did try to move staff around and put them in different roles and, and, and assist them in that, but, but some, some aspects of our role were just not viable to make those changes. It's a requirement. Yeah. It is a requirement. So mm. we've, we've, we managed it in such a way that we always wanted to ensure that those staff had the opportunity to come back. Um, and some have, some have, have slowly kind of uh, come back in and done a little bit of work with participants. Some have tried a little bit of uh, conversations and Zooming, especially around the support work. They've kind of kept that contact. Um, but I think for some people it just became too difficult, especially with either their age or any of their under, other underlying health conditions they, they left. Yeah. Um, and obviously we were not eligible as a service for any job keeper. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting because we were unable to actually say you have no role because you do have a role. You just are unable to fulfill that role. Yeah. So it was a much more difficult kind of, um, it was a bit nuanced I, I would say, just trying mm. to mm. have support staff understand that mm. as a business, we're not, we're not actually losing supports, mm. but you're unable to provide that support yeah. and you have to come to a mutual agreement and then bring them back if they're, if they're willing mm, to come back. Mm, mm. Yeah, we were lucky, we, we didn't lose staff, um, but again in that first month of prediction, and we weren't sure what the client uptake of telehealth would be, and we were predicting the worst, because that's always good to base your numbers sure. on that. Um, we weren't sure how it was going to go. Um, you know, we were anticipating a much bigger drop off than what actually happened. Clients took to it so well. It was sort of, you know, a two week lull as we sort of transitioned. But once the therapists found their feet, once the, the, the storm had passed somewhat in that, like what, what industry is gonna to close tomorrow, then parents felt safer to come back to, to that. And I think they were also homeschooling. So they were desperate for someone to take their kids up. <laughs> Um, so we were really lucky we haven't lost staff, but I, 
I think the JobKeeper has really helped us as well and that's something that I don't take for granted. That's been a lifeline for us through this time. Okay, mm. that's good feedback too. Um, Natalie, just on this topic before we move on, um, the, um, Travis and Amy raised an interesting point and I'm just wondering within HR policy, mm. what should business owners be thinking about reviewing in light of those things, uh, uh, this nuanced kind of situation that Travis raised and then Amy around KPIs, mm. um, you know, concerned about um, being able to maintain staff. So Yeah, I, I think um, beyond, I'll pick up the policy piece in a moment. I mean, the first thing is really what Amy highlighted. It's around connectivity, 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 over-communicate, over-communicate, over-communicate. And so I think that, you know, um, when we talk about COVID safe, you know, we're custodians for the workplace um, and the, the people that um, are part of that community. So I think, you know, you want to have a level of transparency around your policies around, you know, um, staff uh, capacity, um, and also things like employee relations, make sure you, you've got, you know, that's why that code of conduct is really important. Your values piece is really important as well, um, because those values will guide your decision making. Um, you have a beautiful example there before you, you, you saw the person, you, you saw the person that was vulnerable as much as the client who was vulnerable and you tried to get that mutual benefit so that you use your values then to make that, inform that decision. So I think um, for me, it's particularly around, um, and also, you know, make sure you've got good mechanisms in for staff grievances. Um, you know, make sure that mm. the staff are aware if, if they're um, not satisfied with the response, that, that, that they know what options are available to them and they feel empowered, to use your word before, around that. So I, I think it's about, you know, just making sure you've got your house in order. Yeah. Um, not not overcooking it or over or, or doing it from a fear basis. Um, and if you need to get external advice to help you around employment law or in you know what to do in particular scenarios, because it is quite unique to yeah. each scenario, yeah. um, then then reach out for that help. There's people to help you. That was one of the first things we did. Yeah. To make sure that we were doing everything right. Yeah. And, you know, the, the terminology of stand down was being thrown around mm -hmm. and to actually understand what stand down means and to get advice and to, you know, make sure you're doing it all as legally as possible in this unknown yes. chartered territory. And, and my yeah. other piece of advice is it's it's okay to be vulnerable if you don't know the answer. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think there's actually courage at the moment um, to, to, if you don't know, um, to, it's okay to say to a staff member, I, I need to go and seek advice and, and ask permission. Mm -hmm. um, or if you're leading a team and you're not certain where, where the future's gonna go, you know, just talk to them and do some design thinking with them. Mm. Um, with regard to what that could look like. So, yeah, I think from a, hopefully that's given enough insight. I think so. There, um, yeah, I think ha keep your house in order and make sure that, you know, your protocols or your workflows or your, your mm. flow charts, whatever you've got that you use, mm. um, it's simple, clear, accessible to people. So there's a transparency mm. around it. That's, that, that's pr pr pretty much what people are after from a worker level. Yeah. Um, they just want to know that there's pathways and who to go to. Um, and even if it's just something that who do I go to if I have a query about it? I'm not sure where my job security is. Who do I go and speak mm. to about it? Yeah. And, and that's that like proactive as well. Like we need to be, mm. I mean, we, we sent out a letter to all our participants and also a similar one to staff to say they can contact me directly as somewhat a, a bit more external yeah. um, person within the supports because 
some participants, and we didn't get many, but some would say, listen, I'm just a bit concerned. Um, you know, John supports me, but he's not wearing a mask and I don't know how to ask him to wear a mask. So if you're not proactive about that, they're just like, look, John, it's not working. Mm. And really the answer is that they just want him to wear a mask, but especially in mental health, um, sometimes having a disability or any form of disability, they're not going to be proactive asking. To initiate. So they want to initiate that with, yeah, initiate. Mm. They want to mm. initiate that with someone mm. so we can have that conversation with a staff member or a staff member can have that conversation with us. And that came up a lot. It mm. was more around, you know, I'll just use John as the example for this, <laughs> for all of them. Sorry for any Johns, but um, yeah, John keeps going out and collecting cans and I don't feel comfortable having all of that stuff in my vehicle. Yes. Uh, so how do we navigate get, that? Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say John, but I think there's two Johns now <laughs> yeah. in my head. But how do we get that, that person yeah. to, to change that way of approaching yeah. and how do we do it in a way where we don't say no, stop? You know, because that's that negative reinforcement that we actually want to yeah. reduce. Yeah. If you have a business problem or question, get in touch with us. We can get our team of advisors and experts to help you with your business problems in an upcoming show. Well, we have so much more to talk about, but we're, um, we're actually starting to get close to time, which um, I knew would happen with these three wonderful people. Um, we will now, just uh, before we sign off, top tips. So let's maybe two top tips each in terms of reopening. What would you, as someone who never stopped, Trav, what would be the two top things you think people should be thinking about? To, to reopen, uh, I, I think it's important to, to reopen warmly to, to start slowly um, to introduce lower risk um, aspects of your business and then introduce the higher risk um, as you move forward mm -hmm. um, although we didn't stop we did stop aspects like our group work um, our art program that we run so we have contacted all the participants, let them know that we're reopening, ask them what they would need to feel comfortable if they actually want to come back. Um, and we've, we're going to start that process in about a week's time. Um, but yeah, just making sure that everyone's kind of comfortable with that process. I don't know if I've got two in me, that, but that's that great. Counts as, that's that great. We'll, we'll keep moving along. Natalie, have you got um, our, my, my top one is uh, keep, keep scanning the environment. So keep, keep looking what's happening in the media, not just on a state level, local level, but also what's happening globally um, and in, with inside your industry. So you want to always keep planning and learning from the environment because we're all in a situation at the moment where we have to lean on each other to learn what's happening because it is ambiguous um, and a bit uncertain. So, you know, it's really important, you know, not to be avoidant. Um, to, to engage in conversation. I mean, the fact that everyone's dialed into the webinar today is really a good example that people are still trying to learn more and plan more. Um, yeah. My next tip would be definitely back on that workforce planning. Um, sometimes in business, we, we don't we don't always do it because we, we're busy with the day-to-day. -day. So make sure you're focusing on your um, horizons um, and what's coming um, and definitely put some what will your workforce need to look like um, over the next sort of yeah, six to 
I would say 18 months. I think two to five years is too long now. Okay. Um, it's Good more point. shortened. Yeah. Um, so I think because the environment's changing too fast. So that would be my thing is, you know, what, who, what roles do we need? You know, what capability mix um, do we have to have and what capacity will we have to, to service our client base? Mm -hmm. And I think that the ultimate thing is don't lose sight of what makes this the magic of what makes disability disability industry. You know, the, the person-centeredness, and you've both given great examples today, and making sure that that's layered in, in whatever policy or mm -hmm. risk management plan that you put forward, that Absolutely. that's still at the heart of it. Mm -hmm. I've got three, but I'll be quick. Okay. <laughs> um, first and foremost, uh, thinking about quality and safeguards, document. Document everything. Save a record of every email, every team meeting you've had, document. Um, second one is to communicate with kindness. We forget, you can forget your kindness in this stressful environment with staff, with clients. And be dynamic. Expect changes changes are always coming yeah. no matter if it's COVID no matter what space you're in be dynamic and adaptable and keep thinking ahead that agility yeah. factor that we're always banging on about in our business <laughs> advice right. as soon as you're comfortable <laughs> be unsure <laughs> so um, we first of all say thank you to our fabulous panel here Amy Natalie and Travis um, I am very fortunate to know you all and thank you for your generous time today sharing you've done um, to find out more, um, please like uh, the Business Centre's Facebook page, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, we're on all of the social places, um, or Google the Business Centre. Uh, we are based in Newcastle in New South Wales. Um, if you need a bit of uh, location data to get Google to give you a hit, if you're in another state, um, you can give us a call or um, email us to find out how we can help. Um, if you'd like to view uh, more of the, these webcasts, uh, just check out our YouTube channel. Um, and we thank and acknowledge the support of the New South Wales Government's Business Connect program in funding the development and production of these uh, small business disruption webcasts. Uh, you can Google New South Wales Business Connect pro, uh, program. If you're a business that operates within New South Wales, I just need to be clear about that. You can access that program um, and access some subsidised business support, including one-on-one -on -one sessions with qualified and experienced business advisors um, from anywhere in New South Wales. Please uh, get in touch. And we, we thank you for your time today very much and um, good luck with your reopening. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Business Big Bang Theory podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast today, please review and rate us through iTunes and follow and share on Facebook, Instagram or LinkedIn at the Business Centre.